Welcome to the Business Leader Insight Podcast. We'll be returning in the coming weeks with some really, really fascinating podcast uh, interviews. But for now, we have a special uh, debate that we hosted with the founder of Grenade and some M&A specialists. It's looking at how you can sell your company with the right valuation and the trends that are affecting the mergers and acquisitions sector. Hello and welcome to today's mergers and acquisitions panel uh, debate. The debate will be hosted by Business Leader and is sponsored by Harrison Clark Rickaby's solicitors. For those of you who don't know about Business Leader, please do go find out more about us at www.businessleader.co.uk. We have a print magazine and large events network. Our sponsor today, as mentioned, is Harrison Clark Rickaby's, which is a hundred. UK top 100 UK law firm with nine offices and more than 500 staff across the country. Uh, they also have a big corporate finance and transactions uh, division. Do go check out their website, which is www.hcrlaw.com. The point of today's debate is to furnish our readers and members and viewers with knowledge around current trends in the M&A sector, as well as, well as offering an insight in what it's like to buy or sell your company and give tips on how you can best prepare. To do this, we've brought together an expert panel that is Richard Wilkie, who is partner at Harrison Clark Rickabees, Alan Barrett, who's the founder and CEO of Grenade, Tim Spooner, who's director at KPMG Corporate Finance, Joanna Scott, who's principal at Boost & Co, and Andrew Scott, uh, who's the CEO of the Ascot Group and no relation to Joanna as far as we know, and Miles Hamilton, who's director at Short & Co. So a big thank you to all of our panellists. We'll kick off uh, the debate now. It will be around for 45 minutes and there'll be an opportunity for you, the audience, to ask questions. The way it will work is we'll have three panellists on screen at each time. The first three will be Richard, Joanna and Miles. Um, so welcome to you all this morning. Richard, we'll start with you firstly welcome good morning hi yeah i just wanted to kick off by getting your insight into the kind of trends you're seeing amongst uh, your clients in relation to MA and whether you've seen a kind of increase or a decrease in activity recently no thanks ollie and uh, good morning everybody welcome um i guess just kicking off on a really positive note uh, deal activity at the moment is uh, on the increase and that is against a a backdrop, I suppose, of um, some of the lowest uh, yearly total deal values that we've seen, uh, half yearly deal values that we've seen since uh, 2013. But like I said, it's good in that deal activity is on the increase. Um, that's been driven by a number of factors at the moment, low interest rates, um, the fact that there is corporate cash that is available at the moment, certainly in the bigger uh, corporates now that they've sorted out working capital and uh, cash flow positions. Um, there's private capital that's available. Numbers being banded around at the moment are in the region of $1.5 trillion uh, globally of dry powder in private equity funds. That's capital to be deployed for uh, acquisitions and investments. Um, there's good source of alternative lending as well. Um, Joanna can talk about that a bit uh, in, a, in, a, in a bit in a while. Um, and we're seeing an increase in uh, liquidations, unfortunately, and distressed opportunities. But all of that together is driving uh, deal activity at the moment. And a, yeah, go on, Ali, some. Oh, no, no, sorry, Richard, please carry on. No, I was just going to say, within that, I mean, the, the, it won't surprise people to hear that 
the technology and healthcare sectors um, have remained uh, very resilient throughout the um, th throughout the pandemic, and and current circumstances are, are, are encouraging more activity in those sectors as well. No, thank you, uh, Richard, uh, for your insight there. Richard, uh, Joanna did, uh, sorry, uh, Joanna, Richard did mention the, the alternative kind of funding streams there. It'd be good to get your insights. You, you deal with some very, you know, fast-growing SMEs and, and what trends you're seeing. Yeah, um, hi, Ali. We, well, um, I mean, going back a little bit, I, I suppose in sort of Q1, end of Q1 this year, you know, we inevitably did see the, the sort of delay, you know, collapse or, or postponement of deals that were, that were that doing the rounds, none that, that we were doing, but we saw a lot of businesses coming to us saying, you know, either our funding has gone away or, um, you know, we were looking to do a deal that hasn't, you know, quite happened. We're looking to change how we want to do it. So there was a lot of a lot of pause and uncertainty, obviously, around that time on around a lot of deals. Um, so, um, however, I think for a lot of, particularly in the sort of UK small and medium, um, you know, sort of businesses sector, a lot of the reasons that people want to acquire um, or, or consolidate sectors, uh, you know, remain. So, so there are still lots of people who want to do deals for the same reasons that they that they did before, um, and those deals are still there, or they're finding new ones. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of people come saying we've, you know, perhaps we're on a buy and build sort of journey, or we had identified a deal six months ago that we wanted to do, we still want to do it, um, you know, who can help us to, to try and fund that. So we're still seeing a lot of ambition, I think, uh, you know, for, for management teams wanting to do deals, um, whether or not they can get the funding is, is you know, can be tricky. Um, some of the more traditional sources, perhaps banks or public markets are still, you know, a little bit cautious. So I think we're looking more at private equity, private debt, um, that, that sort of thing, slightly more, as, as Rich mentioned, alternative um, sources for, for funding, which are there. So, so I think, um, you know, that there's reason to believe that, that the second half of, you know, well, <laughs> last quarter of the year, we can see a reasonable amount of activity, particularly in that, in that smaller end of the market. Um, you know, big international deals, um, I think are trickier um, with, you know, COVID plus Brexit plus US elections, you know, may, maybe we'll need to be on hold for a little bit longer, but I'm sure we'll see some. Oh, thank you, uh, Joanna, for your insight there. Miles, I um, just wanted to move on to, you, to yourself now, just get your, your kind of perspective and insight on, on the M&A sector at the moment. Thanks, Ollie, and uh, good, good morning to everybody. Um, so uh, here, here at Shore & Co, our, our M&A team is, is really quite busy, I'm pleased to say, at the moment with, um, with, with eight live um, uh, deals on the go at the moment. And to give you a flavour of, of what, what that means, we've got five uh, sale mandates, a couple of uh, equity fundings and, uh, and, and an acquisition um, uh, of, of, um, a deal that we're working on. Um, and of those eight, six are actually pretty well progressed and are either at uh, offer stage or later. So it's, um, you know, although of course we, I think like everybody, experienced a, um, a, a bit of a lull through the, through the lockdown, unsurprisingly, we're now we're now looking uh, in much better uh, in much better shape, um, and uh, as of now, I'd say we're certainly not experiencing a, a decrease in activity. In fact, it's almost the opposite in that people uh, you know things have come back on that were were held up. Um, 
And so that so that sort of overhang of things from earlier in the year is part of the reason. But but also I think um, another trend that I've sort of noticed is that um, business owners um, do seem a bit more open to approaches. Um, and so when a when a trade buyer approaches them, which is often the sort of starting point for a, for a sale, um, um, they. People do, I think, at the moment, seem more um, receptive to that. Um, and to, to illustrate that, th three of our current deals have, have come about as a result of approaches to our clients. Um, now, before you know, before COVID and, 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 and the pandemic, um, in, you know, my, my opinion, business, business owners were maybe a bit more. You know, so there's always a balance between do I sell now or do I continue to grow and, and try and grow the value of the business before I exit. And I think that balance has shifted and um, the, the perception of risk has increased. And so people are, uh, you know, uh, um, on, on the whole, maybe a bit more open to, 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 to a sale now rather than holding on and growing. Um, and I think the other, the other sort of trend that I just wanted to flag from our side is that um, there does seem to be a, a theme of, of private equity investors where they've already got a, a, a platform investment, so they've invested in a in, in a in, in, in a company, are driving the agenda of buy and build, and, and a, we've seen a number of um, cases uh, in in terms of current deals, whether it's been the private equity investor that's really driving the agenda and trying to trying to look to drive the growth of um, their their existing investment um, through through an acquisition, and um, just as a closing thought, you know perhaps that's. Because you know organic growth in the current climate and with the uncertainty around is is looking a bit more challenging than it was. No, thank you, uh, Miles. Um, I'm just going to bring in um, Tim, Andrew, and Alan, and we'll we'll start um, with yourself, Tim. Um, just want to continue on that that focus of trends. It was interesting what Miles, Joanna, and Richard were saying about that. There's, there's maybe more appetite from business owners to, to to look to kind of sell now. Is that something you're you're seeing? Yeah. I I'd agree with that. So morning all. Thanks, Ollie. Um, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with that in terms of what Miles was saying with the um, what we would call a bilateral process. So um, trade parties making um, unsolicited approaches to our clients actually is, is something that our clients are very interested in proceeding with at the moment. So um, the, the trend of the trend of of sellers engaging in those discussions with potential buyers and really trying to work out whether the value matches what we're seeing is a lot of those conversations are at early stage and you've got the kind of the vendors and the buyers almost dancing around trying to work out whether the valuation expectations of the vendor is matched by the buyers before then engaging on a proper process so we have activity in that in that space as well i, I guess similarly um we're seeing a lot of an uptick in terms of um in terms of shareholders pitching and approaching advisors to get their um, team on board ahead of a process um and i suppose at this point in time we're we're waiting slightly to see whether that is going to you know are they getting the advisors on board so that they can do the preparation appropriately and then launch a process kind of later in the year or actually are they just putting people on hold and just trying to get ready for the next stage there are um there are risks there are opportunities Opportunities. We've certainly got a lot of clients who are saying, you know, oh God, I wish I'd taken that offer two years ago and I could have had a very different lockdown experience than the one I've had where I've been worrying about people's livelihoods and people's welfare. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of green shoots of recovery. We're seeing deals getting done. We've completed deals at very good valuation multiples during lockdown as well. And that um, really kind of pins into which which sectors those um, those businesses are operating in. 
No, thank you, uh, Tim. I just want to um, change the, the perspective a bit now and, and, to, and talk to yourself, Alan. You know, you, you, you've, you, your business went through an acquisition. Can you just kind of tell us more about that process and, and what it was like to go through and, and any advice for, for our viewers? Uh, yeah, morning, everyone. Um, uh, yeah, I've actually been through two. Uh, we went through one in 2014 uh, for 35 million with Grove Point Capital, which is our first private equity experience. Um, and also theirs pretty much as well. They were a new fund. Uh, and we also went through it again in 2017 for 72 million with uh, Lion Capital, who are our current uh, PE partners. Um, I mean, in terms of advice, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's honestly like a roller coaster. And I've likened it many a time. You know, it's a, it can be a fairly lengthy process. Um, and even if it's a few months, it feels like it's a few years. I've likened it to as an entrepreneur and the founder as a bit like a carcass being pecked at by vultures. Um, it's it's honestly horrible. You know, everyone's kind of looking for a sort of a, a, a piece of the action. Um, and you, you bounce from wanting to do it one minute to absolutely not doing it the, other, the next minute. Now, I don't have children, but I suspect it's probably like selling a child. And I'm sure all, all parents at some point have wanted to do that at some point. And obviously, it's uh, it's pretty much frowned upon to sell your kids. So um, I'm not recommending you do it. But it is kind of like that. You know, this is something that uh, an entrepreneur all all these uh, brands are extensions of their founders so you kind of grow it from nothing and you nurture it and you need to care about it like a child like you know as, as i've said you know not having children at grenade's been sort of our baby for, for jules and myself um and also with a private equity partner you're getting married so i'd be really really clear about what you, you want um probably having an exit plan if you do want to exit because most entrepreneurs think they want to exit but actually they don't um i suspect we've, we've done majority deals which i think now is probably quite an outdated model i suspect that you're going to see a lot more minority deals in future um because although uh, private equity traditionally have always wanted that majority board control the reality is you know if you've got a management team certainly with the founders on board you can't necessarily control them so there you do kind of have control on paper you don't really have control in reality so you, you don't really have as much control as you potentially like um and the one final thing i'd say is actually from from any entrepreneur potentially looking to sell their business and it does depend on uh, the type of business that it is uh, but i'd probably be really clear it's always very clear what the investor wants you to do the way to grow their investment it's obvious but I'd be really clear about what you want from them and I'd hold them accountable to it as well because we were kind of, I wouldn't say sort of sold a dream, but I think we were a bit naive in the sense that, you know, we thought our private equity partners would potentially, certainly, you know, in, in the initial deal that we did with Growth Points case, would have access to all these fantastic wealthy individuals. And the reality is they kind of did, but didn't really make any introductions. You know, they were very distant investments for some of their wealthy backers. So I think, you know, where we thought we'd get obvious value add we, we probably didn't so i'd say be really clear about what you want from them thanks just just, just one more question when when you've brought, brought on a pe partner how, how obviously it would have changed how you how you run the business can, can you give some insight into, into how it did that uh, yeah i mean it certainly formalized it more which i don't think is a bad thing at all um but you know you certainly don't want too much formality um because again that we found that tends to crush creativity so and again you know not that say again on the first deal we do with growth point not that they were um particularly i think we were probably overly respectful of these new 
um, investors that we had, and we ran a lot of stuff by them, which actually we didn't need to. So again, I'd say fairly early on, I'd establish what you need to tell them, what you don't need to tell them. So now with Line, it's really easy. I just deal directly with Lyndon that owns the fund. Anything that's really good, I tell him. Anything that's really bad, I tell him. Anything in between, I don't bother because he's not really interested. Um, so I, I, it, it, no, you really want to make sure it doesn't change how you run the business because they've invested in the business for that reason as, as why it's doing well. And I've seen so many circumstances, not really with Grenade to be honest, but so many circumstances where uh, investors have come in and they've just tanked the business by adding just too much formality. I've also seen a lot of them probably trying to shoehorn in um, additional people, um, which they think they probably need. And generally speaking, you know, they probably don't. Um, but I think be really clear about what you communicate to your partners and what you don't, to be honest, and try and run the business the way it's always been ran. And for us, that brand comes first. So uh, very often I'm torn between um, employees, investors, suppliers, retailers. Uh, and I always come to the same conclusion. I always do what's best for the brand because if I do what's best for the brand, no one loses. Um, so I think, you know, in my case, having a brand, that's the way we always think of things because there's, there's no losers if the brand does well. Thank you, Alan. So some fascinating insights there. I just want to uh, bring in Andrew. Um, welcome to the debate. Um, uh, you, you run the Ascot Group and you're also an investor and have, have been through um, several mergers and acquisitions. So just, and you, you've bought a, a business in lockdown in the past few months. I mean, I just want to, yeah, can you sh- share your experiences of that? Sure. Yeah. First of all, thanks, uh, Ollie. And, uh, and hi, everyone. Um, that, that was really interesting. Alan there on the, uh, on the uh, brand value as well. I think that's absolutely crucial uh, and makes a, a huge difference to the uh, valuation of a business. Um, yeah, Ollie, as you said, we uh, went into lockdown um, and, uh, you know, we, 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 like every other business, were dealing with the issues of lockdown. But we decided to have a look around at the same time. Um, we operate in the media marketing um, and uh, tech space. And uh, what we did was identify some companies that were maybe a lot less active during lockdown than others. And we had uh, identified a, a media publishing company that had been on our radar for uh, some time. And we noticed the owners of that um uh, publication, which was a, a major publishing house, had gone quite quiet. Um, so we made an approach during lockdown, a speculative approach, um, and uh, we, uh, you know, we said, look, we're, we're interested in this space. We're interested in this publication, uh, and actually, they were very receptive to it. Uh, I think uh, one of the lessons from lockdown is it has made a lot of companies reevaluate. Um, their their products and their services and and their businesses to say look what do we absolutely need uh, what's important to the business uh, what's revenue generating what's profit generating um, so we were able to complete a deal fairly quickly we done it all uh, actually via email and uh, zoom call so we we never met uh, it was a, a publishing company that had been. Uh, launched in 1977, so it's got a 40-odd uh, year history, um, and it was a, a market leader in its uh, in its field. Um, so, you know, and in that deal in particular, we, we agreed a asset purchase, uh, so we didn't buy the shares, we, we bought the assets of, of the business, um, uh, and it all went uh, very smoothly, and we, we're delighted with the transaction. So at the same time, we approached quite a number of other uh, organizations. I mean, it's, it's not just during lockdown. This is something that we do uh, anyway. Um, but during lockdown, we've had um, uh, quite a, 
uh, a number of inquiries and, and responses to that direct approach. Um, uh, and, I, and I think that's uh, that's key, really. So these aren't businesses that are on the market. They're not necessarily up for sale or that they're not on owner's radar to have them up for sale. Um, so we've approached them. And at the minute, we're in talks with uh, eight other businesses, media marketing, tech businesses, with, with a view to completing uh, further uh, further acquisitions, Ollie. That's interesting. And, and, and Tim mentioned that, uh, and, and Miles as well, that the, there's, you know, uh, businesses that are maybe more receptive to, to being acquired at the moment. How, how you know, as, as an investor, someone involved in this, how are you seeing that impact on uh, valuations in terms of owners, how they value their own companies? Yeah, I mean, this this is an age old uh, question. What What is the value of my business? Um, and, you know, there's there's that saying, which is sweat equity, you know, and uh, as Alan said, to, to a lot of founders, this is their baby. Um, and the value they place on the business is often very different to uh, to what an investor would place on the business. So um, uh, and obviously the pandemic and the, the whole situation over the last five months has uh, has really thrown the, the question of valuations uh, up in the air because um, because everything has changed. So how you how you value a business now, it needs to be approached with uh, with caution. But, you know, the, the one thing that I would say is that um, be very realistic on on your expectation because an investor won't value the business in uh, they won't recognize the time effort and hard work that you put into to get the business up to where it is they'll, they'll tend to value it on a combination of hard numbers and if they're bright they'll also uh, value it on brand value uh, as well and and the potential of the brand value um, and and also, I would say, Ollie, that um, uh, understand clearly your buyer's uh, intentions. Because, for example, somebody that's buying a, I don't know, let's say a car parts business um, that wants to own and run it themselves as a local business uh, will value it in a certain way, as opposed to, say, an international distributor that's looking for 200 outlets across the UK so that they'll have a different perspective uh, on it. So when you understand the buyer's intention and the value your business adds to the, the buyers, that can very often shape the uh, uh, shape the outcome as well and, and the valuation. But I would say, in summary, and uh, be realistic in terms of uh, uh, expectation around numbers uh, and also how the deal is struck uh, as well, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a cash transaction or whether it's deferred payment transaction. So, so just be uh, open. Um, and, uh, and as some of the other uh, uh, speakers uh, uh, mentioned, it's, um, it's, you know, be open to how the deal is structured, uh, be open to the, valuation of, of the business and, and particularly for, for me I, I look at the brand value uh, as well in a business ollie okay no thank you uh, andrew tim and alan we're just going to bring uh, richard joanna and miles um back in there um richard we heard some some really uh, interesting insights there um and i just wanted to kind of get your perspective on uh, alan mentioned that that the how how difficult it is going through a kind of acquisition or a sell and you know how how can people make it easy for themselves and when working with a, a legal partner uh, like yourselves i think um, i mean alan touched on some really good points there and uh, and certainly from a, a private equity point of view uh, in terms of the the, the deals we work with i mean it, in some ways the legals uh, and actually the paperwork back end of the deal is say it's the easy bit but it's that the fun bit is more helping with the strategic side and the structuring and and i think 
management teams on one hand and private equity houses that we have for on the other. Um, early engagement with uh, with legal advisor is absolutely critical because that's where we can add some real value. It's where you can help with, like I said, the strategic uh, approach and and um, and some of the structuring as well. And Alan referred to sort of you know the vultures pecking away at people and stuff. But, um, I get it. I know what it's like. But part of our role is about how you can help manage those situations, understanding the cultures of different uh, private equity houses. Um, just how to handle things. People have got a business to run at the end of the day as well. So it's um, it's really important that you've got a legal partner that can that can assist with those uh, processes. And I think on the Mars has mentioned it, uh, Tim as well. You know the, the the buy and build opportunities that there are at the moment. Uh, I mean, definitely definitely out there. We're seeing that with our our PE clients as well. Um, and again, early engagement with them just means we can help with some of the structuring, um, direction of travel, early documentation. It means you can approach targets quickly um, and be prepared. Um, so again, both sides of the coin there. No, thank you, uh, Richard. Joanna, I just wanted to um, uh, talk to yourself now in regards, we, we've t- kind of talked to the here and now and the impact of lockdown and, and how that there's kind of more optimism now. But in terms of the, the sort of longer term future, you, you've mentioned some of those international developments. I mean, what, what, what do you see as, as the kind of, if, if you look down the, uh, the, the path when it comes to MLA? Um, yeah, so, so so as I mentioned, at the at the end of the market that we're looking at, which is the sort of growing UK SMEs, um, we're certainly seeing people going back to deals that they you know either had been put on hold or, or had begun discussions six months ago, um, coming back to the table and now wanting to to execute those. Um, especially as the guys mentioned, you know, buy and build sort of you know consolidators, you know they they are con- wanting to continue. On, on the consolidation path, and as as um, you know, some other people mentioned um, potential vendors. You know, I think that that COVID has exposed you know uh, some businesses where perhaps there's a good product, a good customer base, but the business perhaps wasn't structured quite right or managed quite as well as you know it was hoped. So there's a lot of opportunity um, for those kind of consolidators and buy and build strategists to to continue on their path now. So. I think that that kind of activity is is going to now start to return in the next sort of six to 12 months. Um, and then, um, you know, I think that in the UK, acquisition has has been used, um, you know, as a very strong way for, for growing businesses to grow you know, even more quickly. Um, we're generally pretty good in sort of public markets, PE, you know, alternative debt, um, at, at providing funding for for you know sort of buy and builds and acquisition strategies, so I think that that will continue, um, and um, you know I, I think actually a lot of it will fall to the sort of PE private debt sector um, in the next twelve months, but but hope that you know, going out further, um, you know, will we'll continue in in the public markets as well to to, to provide funding for that. Miles, just want to mention. I mean, I, I hope I have this correct. That I, I believe that uh, that the majority of of international acquisitions for UK companies are, are from US uh, businesses. I just wanted to kind of touch on the international side there and get your your kind of thoughts on how you see that developing. Is it still your kind of US companies that are predominantly interested in in UK businesses? 
Well, I think I think this is a really uh, interesting question, Ali, because obviously, I mean, with, with everything that's going on with with COVID, but also, dare I mention it, uh, Brexit. Um, I think it's it's um, it's it's yeah. It, the, the, the scene is changing for uh, international buyers, as far as the UK is concerned. Um, at the moment here at Shore & Co, we are you know we're currently working with uh, German, Scandinavian, and Irish buyers. So um, you know, as far as we see the market in the UK, it remains attractive um, for M&A for international buyers, despite um, COVID and and yeah and and, and, and Brexit, of course. Um, I mean, from the US angle, um, I can't talk of a um, of a current opportunity, but I think that's just you know the. The view we've got of the market, but certainly in recent years, um, Shore and Co has done a, a sort of a stream of deals with with um, US multinationals. Um, to mention a few: the TransUnion, Aptar, Pharma, Groupon, and Manpower. Um, and um, I, you know, I think what you say is right. I mean, the US is clearly the the largest economy in the world, and it would be a mistake for, um, uh, for for us not to look at that market when we're looking for buyers, um, and so we continue to look carefully at the at the US um, um, you know, for every every situation we've got. Um, um, and, and so, you know, in, in general, you know, as as, a, as an advisor, we it's an area that we invest a lot of time in in terms of our preparation and. and um, a desktop research, if you like, to not just identify the right buyers. Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, from our point of view, it's about finding the people who can pay a strategic premium for our, you know, the, the, the business we're selling. Um, you know, pay pay more more than anyone else, um, and that's really what we're trying to find for our clients. You know, to get to get the best possible outcome for them. Um, and, and you know, in, in the past, that's been that's in the UK, of course. The US, uh, number two, I, I, I'd agree, um, across the rest of Europe, but also we've, we've dealt with uh, Japanese companies in the past as well, another very big economy there. Um, but it's also about identifying the right person, because if you're, you know, you're going into a multinational, um, particularly if it's overseas, where the UK is not necessarily front of mind for some of the people, senior people in that company, finding, you know, identifying the right person to, to go and um, approach with the opportunity and look to get to persuade to sponsor the deal within their organisation is is really important. We we really focus on that and spend a lot of time trying to do that. And um, you know, over, over a number of big exits that we've done in recent years, that this approach that we've taken of you know, directly approaching, identifying and directly approaching the right person in some of these big multinationals has helped deliver really exceptional. Uh, outcomes for our clients. No, thank you, uh, Miles and Joanna and Rich. We're just going to come back to um, Andrew, Tim, and Alan. Um, we'll start with you, Alan. Um, you, you mentioned kind of brand earlier, and and you, you meant you, you know you mentioned some kind of tips on how businesses can prepare for acquisition or, or sell. But I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about the role that building a, a brand and publicity can play in in kind of making sure that that you get the right deal. Sure. I, I mean, I can only speak from my own uh, experiences with Grenade. We've obviously got a very popular consumer-facing brand, which is all over 
not just British retail, but global retail. So we are super visible all the time. Um, I mean, certainly for an investor, I don't know why they wouldn't want, you know, an FMCG brand to be that visible. So it's only ever been a, a real uh, plus for us. You know, the, the danger is as well, potentially, there's, um, you know, if you get something, you get something right, everyone sees it. You get something wrong, everyone sees it. Uh, so you've got to be able to kind of react uh, really, really quickly. And also, you know, we make product primarily, which people ingest. So you have to have a whole new level of trust with a consumer because there's something, you know, actually putting in their body um, in that sense. So, and that takes time, uh, you know, to, to, to build up. So certainly something I, I'd look at, I know we've talked a lot about numbers and having a really good set of numbers with, with a, um, your business, you know, prior to sale. And obviously that's critical, but I've invested in brands in the past that have been loss making uh, and they've had no real clear way of necessarily uh, not being loss making, but I've just I've loved the, the team and the brand and the product. And I thought, you know, what? I love this and consumers are going to love this. And you've only got to sort of do some research, you know, out on the, on the Internet. And you can actually see the, the, the general perception of a brand with consumers and think, you know what, they're probably onto something here. Sometimes the timing's right. Sometimes, you know, you, you've seen quite a bit where you've got a, um, a business and they're kind of ahead of their time. Uh, but you think actually at some point, I'd imagine that the timing will catch up. But uh, yeah, I think publicity is kind, kind of everything. Certainly in my world, you know, the FMCG world, publicity is everything. No, thanks, Alan. A uh, really interesting insight again there. Andrew, I just want to come to you. And um, th- there's been kind of whispers and rumours about changes to sort of capital gains tax and entre- entrepreneurs' relief. I just wanted to get your insight as an investor and how that might impact in terms, yeah, in terms of people wanting to kind of sell their business. Yeah, well, it's it, that's uh, quite interesting, Ollie, because I've just had this conversation now with two or three business owners in the last week, actually, uh, which is, you know, I've, up until recently, uh, business owners were able to take advantage of entrepreneurs' relief. Um, and, uh, and while that's still there, or it's a new name, business asset disposal re- relief, but... But it's uh, there's rumours that uh, that the chancellor may uh, review that or is reviewing it, and I think actually they've asked the uh, Office of Tax Simplification to review that. Tim Tim might be able to shed uh, possibly a lot more light on that than than I have. But certainly the uh, the impact of that would mean the. Uh, the, the cash you receive from the sale of the business is going to be reduced because you're going to be paying more tax. Um, and as a result of that, certainly I've had um, several calls now just in the last week of people saying, actually, how, if I do sell my business, how quickly could we do it? So, um, I mean, that that's really at the, at the SME end, at the small end. I think obviously in some of the larger um, businesses, it's it's much more complex and, and lengthy. Um, so, but but it is it is uh, it is interesting. So, I don't know if uh, if Tim can shed some more light on that, possibly. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, uh, Tim. I was just going to ask you, um, yeah, about how you kind of see the, the the sector going forward. But but yeah, it might be interesting to get your insight in, into this uh, relief and, and and the government's plans. Yeah, sure. The um, so I mean, entre- entrepreneurs' relief was cut earlier in the year, and we actually saw that as a catalyst for deals. So it was something that was pushing deals along in terms of timing. So um, it was it was relatively well forecast that there was going to be a change, and the sense was very quickly that it wasn't going to get any better for entrepreneurs, and it was going to get worse. So that was definitely driving times, which was I think effective, if I remember right, effective from the start of the new tax year. Um, now. 
there is talk about capital gains tax, which is and has always historically been a lot lower than income tax. So you've got a debate for owners about if they're sat with cash on their balance sheet, should they dividend it to themselves at a lot higher tax rate? Um, so reducing their net proceeds. Historically, they've been a lot better to wait, exit with a capital transaction and get capital gains tax treatment on the proceeds instead. The first 10 million used to be available for entrepreneurs relief at 10%, whereas now that's um, 1 million. So the, the, the winds of change are for tax take to increase to the government. You know, all the support that's been put in place over lockdown, they need to find a way to rebalance that. And I think one of the ways they have talked about is to potentially or certainly consider increasing the capital gains tax. It has been talked about whether that would go up as high as income tax. So you would basically have parity between income tax and capital gains tax. So at the moment, we're seeing that and there are definitely processes we're involved in where that is driving the process along. The autumn statement by the chancellor is expected i think sometime in the course of november so there's a there's a short window it's it's not a window to run a whole process but there certainly is as andrew says there is a window here where people can do deals and try and lock in a historically favorable tax rate um equally though if you look beyond that the the you know kind of broader question for entrepreneurs is 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 a is a kind of parity between the income tax and the capital gains tax going to incentivize entrepreneurial behavior um is it going to stifle that is it going to take a different approach then to people exiting you know you're going to actually you might see banks and debt finance and other forms of grant finance being a lot more important for a business's growth and you know expansion plans rather than as as alan's done the the, the private equity cycle might just change in terms of how how exits come about and how um how, how proceeds are realized um go on Oh, no, sorry, Carrington, please. I was just going to go on. So you, you asked about sectors, I think. So, you know, we are, um, Rich, Rich said earlier, we're, we're seeing very hot activity in a number of different sectors. So whilst the market as a whole took a lull over lockdown, for sure, um, some of the sectors have held pretty strong throughout. So one of the sectors we're seeing there is technology. Um, things like this panel being able to be held remotely, businesses operating remotely, more efficiency, you know, a desire to really sa sa save any operating costs that they can and operate with a greater profit margin it, it needs to be there now so we're seeing technology our, our colleagues in the in the, who, who lead our sector activities in that space are saying there's, there's absolutely no slowdown in fact if anything there's more buyers in that space than ever because you've always got the buyers and the investors who are interested in the tech space um, but there are more um, healthcare is a bit of a split sector um, med, med tech and um, you know kind of Bio products and devices is a very good place to be at the moment. Um, care services and provision of residential care is probably harder. So healthcare is a bit split. And we're seeing finally just on e-commerce, the kind of business to business, business to consumer, now direct to consumer as well is a phenomenally good place to be in terms of deal activity, in terms of resilience. And actually, when you talk about earnings and what is a normal earnings level, a lot of businesses might be saying, we would have performed at a higher level had it not been for COVID. Actually, some of the econ businesses you, you need to look back and say actually what is normal have they had a covid bounce so there's, there's some really interesting discussions and debates certainly from an advisor's perspective thinking about selling a business is what what is a normal recurring income level um how do we present that how do we justify that how do we have to normalize that to try and present the optimum but defensible position to buyers no, thank you, Tim. Really, really interesting. Um, so thanks. For that. And we're going to end there with my questions and move into 
uh, a question here from a member of uh, the audience, from Neil Criddle. Yeah, does anyone think that there could be a danger for current potential acquisitions being undertaken by people who may not have the best wishes of the acquired business at heart, especially considering the retirement plans, cash flow concerns could be, could be accelerated in this current climate, forcing quicker. Interesting um, question there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Tim, if you wanted to kind of, yeah, I don't want to kind of put you on the spot. You just just answer a question, but if you had any initial thoughts on that. Yeah, I suppose um, my initial thought, thanks, Neil, for the question. Um, my initial thought is that the driver for a deal or people's ambitions behind a deal or the requirement for a deal are really critical here. So, you know, you historically, a lot of the businesses we would have been selling would have been, you know, similar to Alan and Andrew's situation in terms of we've we've grown a business. It's been our baby. We've invested in it. We've, we've taken it along a journey. And actually, we think we this is the best time to sell now. It's the best time for me personally, or it's the best time in the market. And I think I can maximize value. There are also other businesses um, at the other end of the spectrum where actually it might be forced sale. So I suppose from from Neil's perspective, you know, if if a, if a shareholder is trading profitably and is growing well, then absolutely he needs to understand what the buyer's ambitions are with his business because, you know, he's built up an employee base, he's built up a brand, he's built up a business, and he's worked really really hard to do that. So, you know, I think I think you definitely want to understand what a buyer's ambition is. Maybe if you're other, at the other end of the spectrum, it's a bit harder, but. Actually, you probably you probably have to take a deal that works for you if the alternative or the next next best option isn't isn't very attractive. So diff, different situations, different ambitions, different drivers. But if it is going to be a partnership and a successful growth, you absolutely need to work hand in hand with the buyer to understand what they're going to do with it and make sure you're comfortable with that. Equally, if you've sold and you've cashed out and you've taken the proceeds, well, you can't really keep control. You can't have it both ways. Oh, thanks, Tim. And do, 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 do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to that? Right. I thought you said Alan. Sorry. Oh, sorry, um, sorry Alan. So, yeah, sorry to cut over you. Um, no, I was just going to say that I, I can't imagine there are many deals done where investors just want to, uh, you know, fall in love with the business and just don't want to change anything and just want to sort of, you know, investors are generally not long-term asset holders. You know, they're they're not. They're not, they don't want to acquire this business just because, you know, they love whatever you make. They want to come in, try and add value and exit and make money. So I think you must never really, you know, forget that. You, you, you know, you don't sort of, um, you don't get many institutionalized investors probably who see themselves as the saviors of British businesses and, you know, want to keep everything in the UK. And it's, you know, it's all very kind of um, admirable if they do, but I, I can't give any circumstances that... Uh, that would, no, no, thanks. Sorry, thanks. That, 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 that's a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, Andrew, if you'd like to... Right, yeah, no, just, uh, just come in there. What, what One point uh, sort of very relevant really is, is about the motivation to sell right now. So, you know, historically motivation might have been uh, a you know a cash exit or to to go and do other things or to um you know for health or for family reasons or you know you know um lots of reasons to exit um but certainly one thing that has been very clear to me over the last couple of months is uh, is the impact of uh, covid and uh, lockdown um and you know i think a lot of people are talking about the mental health of uh, employees and i would also mention about the mental health of business owners and the people that have uh, been trying to run these businesses over the last uh, last six months and, and the impact it's had to them as well. So it's interesting, one of the conversations I'm having or have had several times now is that uh, the stuffing's been knocked out of me. I just want to get out of the business now and uh, my priorities have changed personally. 
So I think it's just something that we have to be aware of, which is the, uh, you know, how business owners and leaders have actually been able to uh, manage their businesses during the last few months and, uh, and, and their priorities and motivation now as well. Now, thanks, Andrew, Alan, Tim. We've just got another question that, that's come in, which will bring um, Joanna, uh, Miles and uh, Richard uh, in for. Um, it's coming from Gabby Marson uh, Clark. Hopefully, I pronounced that okay. But w- what do you think is the future of M and A for the travel sector? Lots of companies are facing closure, not cash rich, is relying on customers to pause. That's that's a really really interesting um, question. Uh, Miles, I don't know if you wanted to kind of start with that one. Sure. Thank you for the question. I think um, I think uh, it is really going to be on a case by case basis because I mean you know as as a, as a um, I mean, you've got different ends of the M&A spectrum, really. You've got um, sort of, you know, on the one hand, you've got someone coming in to, who's sort of expecting to pay a, sort of a normal or full valuation and, and is looking for a business that's um, going to grow and um, sort of uh, add value to, you know, and repay their investment. But at the other end of the spectrum, of course, and it's still M&A, you've got um, investors who are looking to, for opportunities and to, to um, pick up businesses at, a, at, a, at, a, at the other end of the value range, where where the, the current owners um, may may be running out of options. So I, mean, I think it depends on a case, you know, it's a case by case basis. But clearly, um, I mean, to, to sort of flip it round, it's you know, in terms of the expectations of the owners of these businesses. If you know, if, if they're really in a difficult space or struggling at the moment with with, with everything that's going on, um, there are still options for them. But but you know that that you know the, the value expectation has to be commensurate with that. So I think, um, I mean, you know, you know, I'm sure there are many um, cases in the travel sector where it really doesn't look like a good um, acquisition opportunity at, at, the, at the moment. Um, but um, um, but equally, you know, um, if, you know, for example, if you're already in the travel sector, there, there's probably some good opportunities for you to. To, to go out and, and, and consolidate other businesses in, in the same space. So I think, you know, I mean, you know, as, as I sort of think about it, I think that that's probably the most likely avenue here for, for M&A in the space is, is other players in the sector who have some, you know, have a, a bit stronger or have the financing available could look to, to buy um, um, other players in that space. Thanks, Mark. Um, Richard, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. I mean, generally speaking, I think um, the 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 whole tourism, leisure, hospitality sector is it's still, to be honest, a bit too early to to, to really say. I mean, so many businesses. We, we've got a number of uh, of, of clients, um, some of which are private equity backed, which are uh, in in the sector, um, and it's still just all about managing cash flow. It's all about. Um, ensuring you know working capital is where it needs to be and it is tough um you know it, it, the whole sector has been massively impacted by by what's gone on and you know being honest about it i think that's going to be be the case for um uh, for a while but that said challenges create opportunity and the pe guys who've got um assets that they've invested in aren't just going to let those wither on the vine they're going to they'll support them um, they'll 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 look to grow them in time and maybe reshape them, remodel them. I think those that are in the sector and looking for MA um, opportunities, then you know the buy and build in time will come into play. Um, but for the time being, I think it's just you know it is about just trying to manage and grow grow what you've got. And I would add, I 
there, I think that, um, you know, what what already the case and made a good business, uh, you know, that could be attractive to a potential acquirer is still the case today. So, you know, travel businesses, I think that that it have invested in their USPs, their, their online platforms, you know, differentiates them from perhaps the more sort of traditional players. Um, you know, I think should should really try to, you know, I understand obviously the cash management is a difficult issue, but to be focusing on on the USPs that you have, um, because ultimately that that's what will make you know your your business attractive to a potential acquirer and make you stand out from from the rest of the pack. So if you if you've been forward looking and invested in in kind of future proofing your business, that you know hopefully um, would make you attractive to potential acquirers. Be- or, or perhaps another industry player. Thank you, uh, Joanna. We're just going to have one um, final question uh, from the audience. We're going to bring Andrew, uh, Alan, and uh, Tim uh, back in for this one. So um, I think he's just coming. Yes, and no, no name attached. But what what impact do international developments have on MA? I think yeah. I think behind that question is you know, do things like the Trump, the pandemic. Obviously, that they, they will have an impact. But but you know, in, to, to to what degree really? I mean, Alan, if you want to. Um, start with that one. Yeah, sure. So we've worked really hard for years, for instance, to get product into, um, uh, you know, what we think are probably the, the, the sexiest locations, you know, in the world. So airports, train stations, coffee shops, you know, places that you need to be uh, if you've got sort of a, an FMCG food brand. And it's really interesting how and we thought we were sort of fairly uh, I mean, we have been very resilient. Don't get me wrong. Actually, lockdown's been sort of fairly kind to us. You know, th- this year, you know, we've, we've actually done pretty well. Um, but we've, we've been very naturally hedged in terms of currencies and locations. We're in 80 countries. Um, you know, we're we're also uh, very d- digitally savvy. So, you know, a good percentage of our sales are, are online via grenade.com and Amazon. But the point I was going to make was actually, um, we thought we're probably going to be pretty bomb-proof here. But something which affected the whole world simultaneously and all of the best locations in the world overnight became the worst locations in the world. So, you know, you, you were never going to, we never thought we'd see empty airports, did we, things like that. So, um, uh, yeah, it, this just proves that something can happen somewhere in the world and it pretty much affects all of us. Um, you know, so we just had to react incredibly quickly and become operationally a lot better. Actually, it's given us time to focus on things we wouldn't normally have had, had time to do. Um, just in that sort of bit of a lull where we had a lot of retailers closed. But yeah, this this just proves that now that the world's a small place and um, something happens, you know, we're all, we're all going to feel it. No, thanks, Alan. It's, it's a big question, Andrew, but do you, do you have any insight into that? And Yeah, okay. Well, just a, a couple of points. Um, I work with a, a number of UK uh, manufacturers and retailers and uh, the impact of uh, pandemic um, uh, has uh, had a major impact to supply chains. Um, so one of the um, areas I think many of those companies will be looking at is their international supply chains and uh, and how quickly they can get raw materials and, and components. So I think maybe for the first time, some questions around supply chain is uh, is rising up the agenda. Um, and, you know, people that maybe uh, purchase from uh, Asia or China and those sort of markets are really looking at uh, at how they can become more robust uh, as a business. Um, but in terms of uh, M&A uh, activity, it, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, you know, Changes to capital gains tax, changes to potentially corporation tax, um, uh, and obviously uh, Brexit is on the agenda. 
But the conversations I'm having with international companies are still very much, you know, Britain is one of the safest countries in the world and one of the best countries in the world to do business with. It's got a very strong legal framework. It's got um, highly skilled workforce um, and uh, and it's a good place for, for companies to operate from and, and as a base to operate internationally as well. So, so um, I'm still fairly optimistic despite Brexit, despite changes in, in tax. So, uh, you know, I, I'm reasonably optimistic around that. Yeah, if we can briefly just, just end with Tim, your your kind of brief thoughts on that, uh, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think fundamentally when companies are making acquisitions, they're trying to take a bet on the growth of the business um, or the growth of the ability of the business to grow to outstrip GDP more broadly or their existing growth. So you are asking a business to take a call on that and take a take a risk on that effectively. So you do often get in a harder time in the cycle. You do often get a position where, you know, when, when times are good, a, a corporate development and M&A director gets fired for not doing enough deals. Um, when times are hard, he gets fired for doing the wrong deal. And it just flips slightly the kind of impetus to, to do a transaction or not. So at the, at the moment, we've all talked about the green shoots of recovery and, you know, kind of things picking up after a pretty hard lockdown. I suppose macro level on the, you know, on the agenda in the in- international development kind of field, you've got the US elections and, and Trump um, potentially getting in again or not you've got us versus china china developments you've got um you've got grs ending you've got brexit you've got um the the second wave and probably the developing nations still being right in the teeth of the first wave of covid really so you know not being not ending on a depressive note but it's it's not too hard there are quite a lot of macro factors out there that could impact activity and you know even across our business at kpmg if if you sit down with a group of partners and directors and talk about what we think deal activity is going to be like over the course of the next 12 months you you won't get two people with the same view some people will think it's going to bounce back really quickly as it has done some people think it maybe like the house market with the you know the kind of impetus caused by the stamp duty saving actually you've got you've got a boost now but then that's going to drop off again when you know kind of maybe jrs ends and tax needs to be repaid and maybe, maybe businesses are, are struggling a little bit more so i think i think what it comes back to is fundamentally strong businesses in the right sector people will take a punt on that but actually processes aren't going to be easy if you're not giving people the right data and you're not giving people the right information no, thank you uh, and thank you to our panel today. we'll just now have quick closing remarks but we'll start with um your 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 oh sorry alan sorry did you have a point there sorry uh, yeah, so I was just going to say one final point, and Andrew was actually touching on this as well, but if I could give a piece of advice to property UK business owners out there, uh, we've always done this from day one, and we thought this was just the right thing to do, but I think it's quite an unusual thing to do, and that is support UK manufacturing and UK supply chain, and that's something which stood us in very, very good stead this year, because where, yes, it might be cheaper to obtain things from the Far East, I think we've just proven in the long run it probably isn't. So um, if you can support UK businesses, then definitely do it. No, thanks, Alan. Apologies uh, about that. Um, yeah, so we want to say thank you. If we just, yeah, a quick closing remark from yourself, Tim. Uh, thank you for today. Yeah, great. Thank you for asking me to join. I think yeah, it's been a really good debate. It's not easy to pick the future and crystal ball gazing's never easy. I think the key message I'd leave you with is is sales are still possible. They're very active. The the, the market is rise, but you have to prepare for them fully. So doing a quick deal is, isn't often the best way of getting maximum value. So you want to pick, pick your team, work with them, prepare properly and execute um, in a in a planned and logical way. Thank you again, Tim. And just want to bring Miles back to say thank you, uh, Miles, for your time today. 
Yeah, thanks, Ollie, for, for, for having me on the call and uh, to everyone for listening. Um, I, mean, my, I think my closing remark really is, um, is just that um, it's, I mean, now as, as more than ever before, really, I think the, you know, the experience that a, a CF advisor can, can bring um, is, is really worth tapping into um, to, to sort of navigate the potential pitfalls in, in any kind of deal. And, and, and um, so, yeah, I would encourage people to, to pick up the phone and have a chat with us. You know, um, there's nothing, nothing to be lost in doing that if, if you're thinking of doing a deal. Right. So thank you, Miles. And I uh, just want to bring Joanna back in. Uh, yeah, thank you for your, your insight too. Thanks very much, Ollie. Thanks, um, everyone, for, for tuning in. I think that, that in conclusion, I would, uh, you know, from our side, would mention that, um, you know, for, for managers of businesses who, who think they have an interesting acquisition, um, you know, I think that, that M&A has traditionally been, you know, a good source of returns for, for investors in the UK um, and, and people will be continuing to look for good deals. Um, so, you know, if you're an established business with a good team and you think there's an opportunity, please do know speak to some of the advisors that, that we've heard from today or um you know boost there are lots of interesting sources of funding available so we're currently lending under the for example the government's c bills coronavirus um, coronavirus coronavirus business interruption loan scheme that can fund m a you know surprisingly but but it can um there are lots of different avenues so i would really suggest um you know don't think oh it's a funny market probably nothing to do do have a chat chat to some people and um, you might be pleasantly surprised, I think. Thank you, uh, Joanna. Just going to bring uh, Alan back in. Thank you for your time today, Alan. Uh, uh, much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, something I'd just like to uh, to add as well, and I know I talk about the, um, the, the entrepreneurs and sort of potentially, you know, private equity combination, which isn't necessarily a combination which always works that well. Um, but I'd just say that, you know, if... To probably do a deal with an an investor for an entrepreneur probably means sort of joining the Royal Navy. Um, Most entrepreneurs are pirates. So I'll just I'll just leave him with that thought. But uh, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks, Alan. Um, Andrew uh, and and your your final thoughts. I don't know how to follow that, really. But um, uh, no, the one last parting thought, really, um, is that uh, I think it's time to be brave. And, uh, you know, if you've got a a business that has got a strong brand and uh, solid technology and processes, you've got a valuable business. And uh, and a lot of people are putting their head in the sand now and hoping all of this is going to go away with um, uh, coronavirus. So uh, I I would say uh, if you're looking to acquire, now is the time to be brave and go out and do it. And uh, if it's time to to get out, if it's time to change your priorities, then 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 do it. So I would say now is the time just to do it. Right, thank you, Andrew. And um, we're going to end with uh, Richard. Uh, Harris and Clark Rippies were our sponsors. I just want to say thank you uh, for sponsoring, Richard. And yeah, and, and your your final remarks. Pleasure, Ollie, and thank you. And, th- and thanks for everyone for again for tuning in to to this. It's been uh, been hopefully really useful for people. Um, I think just from our point of view, um, you know, the the market at the moment is 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 active. As I said. There are plenty of opportunities out there, albeit there are lots of challenges as well. But like I said, challenges create opportunity. Um, engage us early. Engage lawyers early. Get us involved. We can we can give a slightly different slant to strategic advice alongside 
uh, the corporate finance people. Um, on the uh, acquisition side, we do actively source acquisitions for people. We're out there looking. Um, we're, we're, we're good at making introductions and finding the off-market opportunities for people. And on the international side, again, we do a huge amount on that front. And back in March, the international market was very active. There's been a dip in that. Um, it will come back. And uh, again, I think uh, we and lots of others on this call are well-placed to help our businesses out there. So thank you very much anyway. No, thank you, Richard. I'm just going to end by saying thank you again to all our panellists. Very interesting uh, debate. We have lots of uh, other events coming up, so do go visit us at www.businessleader.co.uk.